Last week, um, I talked a little bit about how, uh, or that, the fact that we are, um, as a church, giving ourselves over to the practice of meditation and prayer. Anyone get a chance to spend a few moments in silence and meditation this week, whether it's one minute or 30? A lot of you. Wow, well done. Good job, y'all. Great. Um, our hope is that you would, through the series, see that 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 sort of life with God, union with God is possible, and not just possible, it's what we were saved into or invited into through salvation in Christ. Today our topic is specifically prayer. And before we get started, I'd like you to turn to John chapter 14 in your Bibles, John 14. Before we get started, I want to talk more about um, before I talk about prayer, I want to define some terms. If you need a Bible, you can raise your hand when we'll be brought to you. I wanted to define some terms so you know where we are and all get on the same page. So if you're listening today, um, you kind of know where we're going and you know where we've been. First, the last two sermons are required listening for those who are at home at this church. This Reality San Francisco, if you're a member here or you say this is your home church, you're in community, this is your church in San Francisco, the last two Sundays are required listening. And the reason it's required listening is because this is the series where we are defining what we mean by being a church that cultivates intimacy with God. Um, we said that at the beginning of the year, we want to be known as a church that if you are part of this church, we want to teach you well how you cultivate a life of intimacy with God. And so the series not only is defining what we mean by that, but it's also teaching on how to sustain such a life with God because sustaining a life with God like this is mission critical if you're a follower of Jesus in this city. It is so important. So to do that, we've been using the concept of mysticism and specifically Christian mysticism, which has both a rich biblical history and a history in the early church with the early church fathers and mothers. And this is how we defined mysticism over the last couple of weeks. We had two definitions, two working definitions. One of them, if you are an artist and really into the practice of art, or if you are goal-oriented into, like, what's the goal? But here, here's, the, here's the definitions. Mysticism is the art of union with God, it is the practice of union with God. You'll never perfect union with God, but you're always moving towards greater and greater art forms of union with God. Or if you're goal-oriented, mysticism is the pursuit of or the enjoyment of union with God. That is your pursuit. That is your goal. That is your aim is to be an enjoyment or in the pursuit of practicing that union with God. Now, union with Christ is actually a fact of the Christian faith. If you are a Christian, uh, it's true that you are in Christ, and Christ is in you, and you have union with God. You have union with the Father through the Son and the Spirit. That's a fact and a reality of the Christian faith, that through Christ we have union with God. Now, what mysticism is specifically is the art of practicing that reality or the art of enjoying that reality or pursuing that reality. So it could be a, a fact in a, in a, of your faith, but what does it feel like? How does it change you? How does that shape you? How are you experiencing that union? And what that practice and pursuit looks like has been written about for centuries by mystics and contemplatives around the world. So what I'm hoping to do in this series is give you some very practical ways to become a mystic. I said last week my hope is by the age of 55, 60, to be a full-on mystic in San Francisco. Like full-on, I don't know what I'll look like, hopefully like a long, I don't know, like Moses. I don't know, I just want, I just, I, that's what I want to be. I want to enjoy union with God every single day so that I'm walking down the street. It's like palpable that this person is, is with God right now. Like that's my, that's my hope. To do that, we are using a framework given to us by Gugio the Angelic, or also known as Gugio II, a monk who wrote in the 12th century. I think his paradigm is massively helpful. He calls it the ladder of the monk, ladder of monks. This is what we talked about last week. And here's the ladder. It's reading Meditation, prayer, and contemplation. Reading, meditation, prayer, and contemplation. Gujo says that the latter is helpful because it has few rungs, only four rungs, 
but it is so vast that the lower rung rests on earth reading. If, if you can read reading or listening to the Bible, any, it's accessible to anyone. But the top of the ladder pierces the clouds and touches heavenly secrets. So anyone can get on just by reading the scripture, and that reading leads to meditation. Meditation leads to prayer. Prayer ultimately in the hope we'll talk about next week is contemplation. So last week we talked about the first two, and I simply called it meditation. And we said that meditation is where we create the emotional and spiritual space which allows Christ to construct an inner sanctuary in the heart. It's that place where um, in meditation Christ begins to build this space and this place in your heart where you go to be with God. Like imagine the best physical place you've ever been with God at. God, uh, meditation is building that place in your inner life. Which then leads to, we said, meditation is the ability to hear God's voice and obey God's word. Now, this is what we talked about last week, again, required listening, which brings us to this week, where I want to talk about forms of mystical prayer. And what I mean by that is I want to talk tonight about the kind of prayer that meditation leads to. So if you are reading and you're meditating, what kind of prayer does meditation lead to? That's what I want to talk about tonight. And what kind of prayer does contemplation lead to? What kind of prayer do you pray that leads into contemplation um, the, using the, the, the latter paradigm? Hope that makes sense. If not, hang with me, take notes. I hope it makes sense by the end. I want to start by reading John 15. I had you turn there. Actually, it doesn't matter if you turn there. Don't turn there. Close your eyes. I want to read it to you. I want you to hear these words to you. John 15. By the way, I think John 14 through 17 is Jesus' magnum opus on union with God. And this is like right in the middle. John 15, Jesus says this. Close your eyes, get comfortable, take a deep breath, listen to the words of Christ. And then I'll be silent, and then we'll pray. The words of Christ, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are, all, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown to the the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit showing yourselves to be my disciples. Let's just sit with this in silence for just a couple moments. May your word tonight, Christ, dwell richly in our hearts through faith. And may they take root in finding fertile soil in our hearts, God. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, God. Teach us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's, the, here's a strange truth about prayer. It is easier to talk about or think about prayer than to pray. I just want to get that out there for everyone. This is true of every one of us in this room, probably every one of us in this room. It is true of me, and I would say it's probably true of everyone else. You can, I can strike up conversation, and we can talk about prayer. We can even think about prayer, and that is easy. We can talk about the nature of prayer, what's hard about prayer, what Jesus said about prayer, something you've read or heard about, and God answering prayers, and it could be some rich, beautiful, lively discussion. But when we finally sit down or kneel to pray privately, it's like crickets, endless distractions, and sometimes an all-out warfare to get us to carve out time to actually pray, which I think reveals a deep truth about prayer, and that is as much as we want to be closer to God through prayer, we also resist it. 
We want to be, there's something in us that wants to be deeply close to God in prayer, and we know it. We have stirrings, longings, but at the same time, we also resist prayer. We resist the time it takes to put into a, a, a rich prayer life. Why do we do that? We, we do this for all kinds of reasons. We do it because of time. We can't find the time to pray in our busy lives. We do it because of discouragement. When we pray, we don't feel like it's working or anything is really happening in prayer. It's like our prayers don't even leave the, 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 the don't even reach the ceiling of where we're praying. Shame, some of us feel shame when we pray and we're ashamed of our sin and we don't feel like we are worthy to pray. Or just straight awkwardness, we don't really know what to say to God. Like, what does God want to hear from me? And I don't know what to say, so it's it's silence, but it's awkward silence. Which is why prayer must be something you learn to do. Prayer is something you learn to do. Or, said differently, prayer is a learned practice. Could you say that last line with me? Prayer is a learned practice practice. I want you to hear this. This is a learned practice for everyone. Everyone has to learn to pray. You are not born again or born with a prayer life. Even for intercessors, that people that love to pray, you still have to learn how to pray. You have to learn to pray. It's something you have to learn to do. It's a language. You have to learn it. Luke 11.1. 1. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, Teach us to pray. Now, this is a strange request because as Jews, disciples would have known all about prayers and have memorized probably a host of different prayers. Beautiful prayers in the Jewish community. They would have prayers for meals. They would have had prayers for Shabbat. They would have prayers for going to synagogue. They would have memorized all kinds of prayers. But the disciples weren't asking us, teach us a new prayer. The disciples must have seen the way prayer fed and nourish Jesus, and how prayer was the way Jesus richly interacted with the Father. Don't misunderstand what attracted the disciples to Jesus' prayer life. You might have heard, and I might even have said, that they were impressed by the power of Jesus to do miracles or superior intelligence. The thing is, is that they actually had some of that. Disciples were smart, and the disciples actually moved in power of miracles. They even said that one time, Jesus, even, even demons fled in your name. Like they did this, what, but what, they, what impressed them was the depth and the graciousness of Jesus' soul. Jesus was a deep soul. He was gracious of heart. And how Jesus' prayer life was simply his whole life. And how he had this union with the Father to the extent that the source of Jesus' life was really outside of him. They, they saw that he was connected to this deep source through prayer. And so they say, Jesus, teach us this connection. Teach us this life source. Teach us this depth of soul that you have. Teach us to pray. So what is the what is prayer and what is the hope and goal of prayer? And I've given you this definition before, but I think it's really helpful and really simple. A classical definition of prayer is this. Prayer is lifting heart and mind to God. Simple definition. Write this down. Prayer is simply lifting heart and mind to God. It's taking everything that is in our heart and on our mind and lifting it to God, bringing it before God in conversation. It's communication and everything that communication entails. It's time. It's space, it's listening, it's self-reflection, like how am I being heard right now? It's all of that, which is why prayer is also a discipline. Now, I know that when I teach on prayer, it's super weird because it's, it's I'm, I'm teaching you how to do something that's difficult. I don't think it's easy to begin to the discipline of prayer but I think it's helpful for you to know that it is a discipline. Henry Nouwen said in Spiritual Formation, the discipline of prayer is the intentional, concentrated, and regular effort to create space for God. The dis it's a discipline that's intentional and concentrated, and it's regular, and it's effort. Prayer in a prayer life takes effort. And I would be lying to you if I didn't tell you that it, this took time and effort, but this is the pursuit of the mystical life. If you want to be integrated, 
like your, your mind and your heart and your soul and your, and your passions and your zeal and your temptations, all of that stuff to be this integrated whole where your life is lived with God, that takes a redirection of your thoughts, that takes a redirection of your heart, that takes you being with God, like really being with God. And you can't learn this on the run. You can't learn this preoccupied. You can't learn this distracted by your phone and computer. You can't learn this while taking lift to your next meeting. This specific kind of thing needs space. And like meditation, prayerful union with God takes its own dedicated space. Like your own, and we'll talk about that in a second. But once you learn this, once you've, you've put in the effort to learn union with God through prayer, you can travel with this. This could be to you as normal as breathing. You can be in such constant communion and communication with God that when you're in work in the most intense meeting, you could be conversing with God there. You, can, you could partner with God in all kinds of prayer experiments. I'm going to talk next week about a, a, a missionary named Frank Lamba, and he was a, a missionary who practiced mystical union with God um, while he was bringing all, uh, he was bringing um, uh, literacy to the silent billion. And he, he, he did more for literacy in, in Asia than probably anyone, any, anyone else has done. And he created this whole thing, but he did it in union with God. And so what he did was because he had, su- he had learned such prayer in his time with God that he took it on the road to where he would pray experimentally with people. And he would pray to God and ask God to make people smile. And then randomly people would be like smiling. He's like, oh, that was cool, God. And he's like, I'm going to try this again. And he went over here and he's like, God, I want, I want to, God, make this person smile. Show them some, give them a memory. That make, and, they, and they would smile. And then he would be like, oh. And then he would watch a tennis match. And he would pray for one person and then they would start winning. He's like, oh my gosh. And he started praying for the other person. They would start winning. He's like, this is amazing. Like he would do these, he would be with God in so, such, a, a, such an amazing way where this, is, this was his life, but he had to learn it. He had to learn it alone with God. And when, when, when he did, he had such constant communication and connection with God that this, I mean, this, he actually wrote down because he was, he was educated at Princeton and at Columbia. And he's like, science, there needs to be science experiments on the, how prayer really works. Because really, this stuff really works. We'll, we'll talk about it next. I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. Anyway. It takes its own dedicated space. But once you do, once you've learned it, you can take it on the road. Now, before I talk about forms of how to practice this, let me share with you the hope and the goal of prayer. The hope of prayer is experiencing union with God. This is, this is it. Guys, gals, this is what you and I were brought into relationship with God for. Union with God. That you can experience oneness with God. And by experiencing union, I mean everything that union entails, relationship, communication, oneness, connection, syncopation, rest, peace, relational security, listening, knowing, life, healing. Everything that like real deep connection and union entails is what is promised to us in union with God. Like real deep inner healing like real deep syncopation with God's will, like relational security with God where you know in the deep, deep down, even when God, like, you can't find him anywhere, he will never leave you or forsake you. This is the hope. The mystic and the first female author in the English language, Julian of Norwich, said this. Prayer unites the soul to God. This is what prayer does. It unites our soul, every, the, 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 like, the, the most complete part of us, it unites that to God. And this is why when Jesus talks about prayer and the spiritual life, he uses organic metaphors. Like your heart is like soil. And God's word is like seed. And the question is, will the seed take root in your heart? Is your heart ready? This is cultivation language. Is your heart cultivated to receive the seed of God's word or is it dried out or weedy or what what is what how is the state of your heart are you ready to receive the word of God like this this is the language Jesus is the vine and you are the branch like we read 
This is organic language. Life comes to you through connection, through union. Each part of the vine is connected to the branch, but each part is distinct. The branch has its job and its, and its responsibility, and the vine has its. Each of them has a role to play, but the life source is found in the connection, and that is the point. Stay connected. Abide. Remain. You and him. His word in you. And then from that place, from that connectedness with God, you can ask anything, and it will be given to you. This is about connection. This is about union with God. That you and I, there's a possibility to walk with God like this and have such union that anything we ask in Jesus' name, he will give to us. These are his words, not my words. See, prayer is partnership with God. It's petition, it's intercession, it's asking, it's all those things. But any partnership must be built on relationship. And this is what prayer does. It brings us into union with God. That's the hope. Now, if that's the goal, what are some practices or forms of prayer that help us get there? Now, this is super practical, so take some notes. The first is this. You need space and silence. There's no other way. I don't think there's any other way to do this. You have to find space in your house or in the city that you can sit and be silent. This can be indoors. This can be outdoors. But I will say this. Start by sitting. Even if you're like an antsy person like me and you have to be moving around all the time, start by sitting. Even if you're stir crazy at first, from there you can go on prayer walks, prayer runs, prayer swims, I don't know, whatever you do, but start by sitting and breathing well, concentrating your mind and your heart on God. Choose a time to do this every day, regularly, every day regularly, just for a few minutes. Start there. My suggest it's morning, like I told you last week. Start small so that little victories can be given time to grow and take root as regular habits or practices in your life. Start with two minutes. Start with five minutes. Set a timer. Celebrate those victories. I just spent five minutes in in silence before God. I just spent five minutes in prayer. And start your time with literal silence. Do you guys know what literal silence means? It means literal silence. Like, (laughs) shut your mouth. Be still before God. Turn off your music. Put your phone away. If you're using the Abide app, which we highly recommend, spend like two minutes in silence before you open that app. Sit still before God for a few minutes and be silent. Quiet your mouth first. I have found that people don't like silence much. Where we, we're even in in public prayer meetings, we're like, we're gonna start with silence, about two minutes of silence. And even in a public prayer gathering, when you say that, there's always people that will start filling that space with words because silence is hard. I think in our culture, silence makes us seem uninteresting. If two people are together and there's silence between them, you start automatically assuming I'm uninteresting. It's like being on a first date and no one's talking. You're like, I'm a bad person. I'm not an interesting person. But isn't the whole hope of, a first date is to ultimately find someone that you just be silent around. Like to sit with someone and just be yourself and not have to fill the place with space with words. Just be. I mean, that's the hope. But that takes, that, that, that's, that's the hope. Like to sit with God in silence. It doesn't mean you're uninteresting. It doesn't mean you don't have anything to say. But this space, and I've heard it from a lot of you, that silence is very hard since your mind keeps wandering. And I get that. I am, like I've told you before, clinically off the charts ADD. But the great thing about meditation, I actually said medication this morning service, but meditation. (laughs) The great thing about meditation is that it directly embodies the essence of silence immediately. See, the moment you begin to silently sit in meditation, you are silent. Now, it may be true that silence is at first only the silence that happens by you stop talking, like stop speaking. But you can choose to turn toward this initial state of silence and savor it. You can sit still and shut your mouth and be quiet, and your mind could be going, and you could just do this. Ah, that silence is nice. Listen to the silence. And then you can choose to open yourself to it so you can enter into that silence more deeply. And then from that meditative silence, whether it's two minutes or 30, you can then turn to prayer practices that specifically cultivate union with God. And there are many, but let me give you just a few. First, I talked about this last week a little bit, Lectio Divina. Lectio Divina. I mentioned this last week, but I, I, the actual process, I want to walk you through the process and what it looks like. 
the Lectio is actually a very simple practice. Actually, it was our man, Gugio II, who wrote down the classic instructions for it. And as you'll see when I read them, they, the structure looks a lot like the Ladder of Monks. So here are the four steps to Lectio Divina. Now, this is Latin, so some of you guys are going to check out. But just sit with it for a second, okay? Lectio is the first stage. Meditatio is the second stage. Oratio is the third stage. And contemplatio is the, th the fourth stage. And things get crazy, it turns into tapatio. No, it doesn't do that. <laughs> four, four stages of, and now, lectio is obviously just like reading, right? Lecto, read, reading. Meditatio is meditating. Or, are you okay? <laughs> that too much? I'm sorry, I was dumb. I shouldn't have done that. I'm doing Latin now. Okay. Oratio is t praying, talking to God. And contemplatio is contemplating. Okay, that's the fourth. Now, this is how it looks. Okay, Lectio starts with um, prayerful, slow, heart-centered reading of the text. So you read a text, and you just sit with it for a while. And then you start to ponder the message of the text. And then once you do that, you respond to God's message with honest prayer. And then you allow that prayer to move you into wordless silence. Now, here's the thing. If you're afraid of this practice, you should not be. The first thing about Lectio Divina is that Lectio does not change the Bible. The Bible means what it means. We spent a whole year with this idea in our year of biblical literacy. What Lectio does is change our approach to the Bible and how we receive it in a way that allows it to form us and become for us God's very word, his personal word to us. For example, uh, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That w verse still means what it means in context. Paul is talking about being content in any situation he's in, whether it's suffering for the gospel or, or eating really, really well, he can do all things. That's what he's talking about. Now, when we meditate on that, it becomes God's word to us personally. God speaks afresh through it, and by his spirit, he might key in our word or two and drive them deep and make them real to you. Let me give you an example. A year ago, I was meditating on this scripture here, Romans 1.11. And I was on sabbatical. I was coming off a sabbatical. And I was just meditating on this scripture. I Paul saying to Rome, the church in Rome, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Now, faith. Now, as those are Paul's words to the church in Rome, and they mean what they mean. But in Lectio, they became the way in which God was opening my heart and mind to something. And so I sat with it. I read it slowly. And then I started meditating on it. And I started pondering the passage. And what I realized was that most times over the last two years, this was a year ago, so the last two years leading up to my sabbatical, I actually, this is kind of a confession as well, I didn't actually long to see you. I didn't long to see the church in San Francisco. Sundays rolled around and I felt like this pressure and this weight that I couldn't describe, but it was not an easy yoke. And I didn't, and so I was meditating and I was like, why didn't I love to see the church? Why couldn't I say this about reality, San Francisco? And what I wrote down a year ago was because maybe I felt I had nothing to spiritually impart to you. That I had burnt out, that had nothing of substance left to offer. And I didn't even have space in my life to receive from you, to be mutually encouraged by you. So I was meditating on this passage, and it became to me very personal. And then it led me into oratio, or prayer, conversation with God. And as I was talking to God about this, this is what I, and this is what I actually wrote down in my journal. And the time I felt that the call then by God wasn't a call to learn new information to teach you. That, was, that has not been my goal over this last year coming back from sabbatical. My goal is not to learn new stuff for you. It was a call to be with Jesus and to be able to offer you myself filled to the brim with Christ. That has been like, that was what, it's like Jesus was like, this is what, I don't want you to new, learn new things, new tricks, new stuff, new theology. That's not the goal here. The goal is that you would be with me and then be filled with me so that you're overflowing onto the congregation, and then you start making space in your life to receive them. And I sat with that, and I wrote that down, and I practiced that over the last year. And that is right there. That is, um, 
An and it didn't happen like that every single day. But that is an example of what happens in Lectio Divina. It's, did Romans 1 mean a certain thing? Yeah, of course it did. And it became to me the very way, through meditation on that day, the way that God spoke to me and got into my life. I will say the whole four-part practice of Lectio is prayer in itself because the whole, all of the stages are a quest for communication with God. And I have found the best way to do this is find a short text, one that you can either memorize really short, uh, in a short period of time, or a scripture that you've already memorized. For example, uh, earlier this year, we, this year, yeah, we um, memorized Psalm 23 as a church. So what I find myself doing is I'll just recite Psalm 23 in Lectio Divina and just start going over it again. If I don't know what scripture to read that day or what I want to meditate on, I either turn to Psalm 23 or the Lord's Prayer, something I have memorized. And then I start to do this. And I allow time for prayer and I allow time for intimacy. And I, let's, I, I, I let that, this lead me into contemplatio or this contemplation of being with God where I can sit silent before God and just be, and he's, there's this union there. Soren Kierkegaard once said, a man prayed, and at first he thought that prayer was talking, but he became more and more quiet until in the end he realized prayer is listening. This here is the, the hope of Lectio Divina, that you just begin to listen. Now, here's a tip, practical tip. When you're done praying, it's often good to do this, to, in a separate exercise, review your time of prayer. Review, ask yourself practical questions. We did this as a staff this last week. We spent some time in meditation, and then I started asking questions. How, how was that for you? What did you experience? I don't want to know what God spoke to you. I want to know how the experience was. How did you get started? How did silence feel at the very beginning? At what time did it feel like you were actually praying? Someone said, it was hard in the, in the beginning until when you started actually praying the Lord's Prayer. That's when I finally felt like it was prayer. And then someone else said, right in the middle, it felt like I lost all track of time. And it, so write this stuff down. It teaches you how to do it more and more. What, what, what helped get your prayer started? What, seemed, what, what part seemed alive to you? Where were you distracted? What difficulties did you have to overcome? This is where you can start to realize that if you're like a tactile person, sometimes it feels really good if you're really tactile to hold something in your hands when you're praying. It could be a cross in your hands. It could be um, uh, even the rosary in your hands. I don't really recommend praying the rosary, but that you would hold that in your hands. It could be lighting a candle during this time that people have done for since like the early church, like lighting a candle, Christ is the light of the world. The, the scent of that candle, what, whatever it is, like something physical, you might find that you, in silence you have to set, like me, you have to set a timer to be silent because if you don't, you just worry about how long you've been going. Like, write these things down so that you could grow in your prayer life. Next, another um, exercise, and this one's honestly one of my favorite ones. Uh, it's called the examine. Or the long form of this is called actually the examination of consciousness. The examination of awareness. The examination of being awake. It's an Ignatian exercise that helps us reflect on the day in order to attend to the movements of God's spirit within us, identify God's presence, and discern God's will. In its simplest forms, it's five steps. And here they are. And I think this is like, there's, this, is, this is really good. Now this, was, this is kind of lengthy, but once you memorize it, it's just a, all of these things are just pathways to get you to a certain place. So it starts like this. It starts with gratitude being grateful for, for God's blessings, being grateful for the way God showed up that day, just being thankful for random things that pop into your head. And then illumination. You ask the Spirit for help. God, illuminate my mind. You are light in you. There is no darkness at all. Would you illuminate my mind? And then you reflect on your day. This is best to do this at night, or some people do it at noon. Other people can do it in the morning, reflecting on the day before. Reflect on your day. Look for times when God has been present, or at times when you have felt like you've left him out where you've fallen into temptation or to sin. One really good way to do number three is by, by examining your day and the, ask God to reveal what part of the day were you most affected. Like, did you have the most affections? Like, something either got you angry, got you passionate, something got you filled with lust, Something got you filled with joy. Something got you filled with happiness. Something got you filled with so much laughter. What was the thing that aff affected you the most? 
and then bring that before God. Ask Jesus, in what ways have you experienced something like this? Where were you at when I was experiencing this? What do, you want me to, what do you want to say about this thing that I experienced? And from that point, allow that to lead you into resolve where you resolve this with God in ways that you see like a, a connection between you and God or allow this to reconcile your relationship. It brought you further away from God to repent and to reconcile. And then lastly, to pray for grace, to be more available to God who loves you. Now, there are many forms of this, but the goal is to notice and realize the ways God has been with you throughout the day. Let me give you an example. You know, I've never been a dog person. I've not been a dog person. I mean, they're kind of cute, but mainly dogs are dirty and a little, a lot smelly, right? And I like to keep it clean, y'all. I keep it, I like to keep, like, just germs, no germs, no to germs, So when Ash said after years of not being able to have a dog in our apartment that when we get moved into our house that we're getting one, I had to prepare myself. And this was a seven-year conversation. A seven-year back, oh, no, we're not getting a dog. No, we're like back and forth. Finally, we're getting a house. And yes, I gave in. And I started telling people I'm getting a dog. And people walk up to me, oh, my gosh, you're getting a puppy. You're going to love this experience. I'm like, ah, it's Ashley's dog, not my dog. And then God said, you know, no, what's going to happen is God will speak to you through your dog. And God will teach you lessons about his love through your dog. And you'll get sermon illustrations from your dog. And I thought those people were part of a cult or the occult. And I'm like, you're crazy. This is not for me. You're weird. And I don't know if we should be friends anymore. Like, this is, stop it. So we got a dog, and his name is Prince. Here's a picture of little Prince. Oh, my gosh. Okay, take it off. He's too cute. I can't even... That's Prince. And I am in love with Prince. Like crazy, insane love. The first week of having him, I was meditating and praying through the examine, what I just shared with you. And I asked God to enlighten me and to show me something in that day that got me really affected. That's the third step, right? What is something that like, got me, where my affections were going off. Like, what was the thing? So I started to, 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 to reflect. And that for that day, it was this moment that our little puppy prince jumped off a step going into my office. Into my office at home, I had this step down. And the thing is, 24 hours before, he would go right up to the step, and he would look down, and then he'd look up at me, and then he, he looked at me like, so can you get me and get me down off the stair? And I'm like, yeah, I mean, I'm a good, good father. Yeah, that's what I do. So I'm like, I pick him up, and I kiss him, and I put him off the step, and I let him play in my office. So 24 hours later, he's Superman jumping off the step, like full on. It's in his, on his Instagram, whatever, don't judge me. So it's full on. He's full on jumping. And this is the moment that I brought before God in the exam. And I'm like, that, oh, my gosh, I was, that one, that was, I was so happy when that happened. And so then I started asking myself, why did this moment bring me so much joy? So I started to reflect on that. And that what I was processing before God was that I was so happy that he progressed so much in just 24, so quickly. And that he was so brave, that he was growing, that he was adventurous. And so the next question the examine is, Jesus, have you ever experienced anything like that in the Gospels? This is for, for connectability. This is relatability with Jesus. Like, Jesus, have you ever felt this way? And what was brought to my mind was the moment that Jesus was surprised by the faith of the woman or the centurion. Like, he was genuinely surprised. Like, wow, I've never seen faith like this before. And what was going on? And so I was like, I was actually having this insane moment with Jesus. And I'm like, oh, you, you've experienced that too? I, I was overjoyed too. And Jesus was like, I was overjoyed. I, why were you overjoyed? I was overjoyed by the progress by their bravery, by their sense of adventure with me, that they were able to come to me and believe me for crazy things. And then I, him and I were having a moment, like, that's how I felt too. I was just, just a dog, but I was so excited. And then I heard Jesus say to me, right in the examine, he said, I'm also surprised by how quickly you fell in love with this puppy yourself. How quickly your heart is expanding for this animal, for this creature. And then there's this moment in the examine where I, re- I heard Jesus said, Dave, your heart is expandable. It can grow. 
it can make room for others. It can make room for things that you never thought you wanted in your life. Your heart is expandable. And that led me into the most beautiful time of prayer and gratitude and awareness of how God is present at that moment working in my life through a freaking dog and his conspiracy in my life towards union with him. This, this is what the exam does. See, we live in a world where it's harder and harder to be self-reflective, to sit with God and allow him to search us and know us. We are far too distracted. We're connected to our technologies, but we all know none of our devices can overcome the deep destructive habit of structures that reside in our souls. No technology is able to produce the character transformation we so desperately need and all of us really, really want. We have a constant threat of loneliness and anxiety in this city. And it's ironic because this city promises that through the devices that we create and the tech that we create, that we are never alone and we can get anything we want to us in a matter of minutes. But still, we're wrecked with anxiety, which means there's something that our devices cannot give us. And more than that, our phones make it especially hard to be self-reflective. I would imagine you wind down your day by grabbing your phone and getting on social media or getting on the news. See, the thing is, the second you turn on your phone, you can no longer see yourself. It's actually designed that way. There's no reflection. Actually, if you completely turn off your phone and look at your phone, you can see your self-reflection. The second you turn on, you cannot see yourself. Especially in the, new design, the newly designed phones, the second you lift them to your face, it turns on, so there's not even a second you can see yourself. This is by design. They, you, guys, you guys create this stuff. You know this is true. They don't, you don't want people to be self-reflective. You want them to keep clicking and to keep scrolling, to keep buying, to keep down the rabbit hole of things that you're creating. Not to be self-reflective. But self-reflection is the key to the mystical life. You must go down. You must sit with yourself and ask God to search you and know you. You must put away distractions, put away your phones that keep you from self-reflection and sit with God. In the book, The Way of a Pilgrim, written by a Russian author that actually no one knows who the real author of this book is, story of a pilgrim who travels only with the clothes on his back and two books in his backpack as he is trying to figure out what Paul means when he says pray without ceasing. He doesn't know what this means, so he goes on a spiritual quest to find what he means. And so he goes, and the only, only two books he has in his backpack are the Bible and a book of mystics. And he's going from town to town. He goes, and he just wants to be alone with God. And he goes into a town where he's brought in by a wealthy man, a judge who is very, very benevolent. He, he serves the poor. He gives his life away. He makes his home for wanderers and homeless. And so this traveler, this pilgrim, finds his way in, and they start having this conversation. They start talking about God. And this, the, the judge starts to think, wait, you must be educated and wealthy. You just gave up your wealth and your education to be homeless. There's no way... You're this smart. You shouldn't be this smart um, unless you've been educated. And the pilgrim says, no, I've, I've not been educated. Well, how, how are you this enlightened? How are you this smart? And this is what he says. For the most part, my ignorance has been enlightened by interior prayer, which is the result of God's grace and the teachings of my late elder. What I have, every man can have. All that is necessary is to descend into silence into the depths of one's heart and call the name of Jesus Christ frequently. And this one, in this way, one can experience interior light and many things will become clear to him. Even the mysteries of the kingdom of God and what depth of mystery and what light there is when man realizes his ability to descend into himself, to see his inner self, to take pleasure in self-knowledge and to be touched and even to shed tears over his fallen and weakened will. It is not difficult the fact is that we are alienated from ourselves and have little desire really to know ourselves. We run in order to avoid meeting ourselves and we exchange truth for trinkets while we say, I would like to have time for prayer and the spiritual life, but the cares and difficulties of this life demand all my time and energies. 
And what is more important than necessary? The eternal life of the soul or the temporary life of the body about which man worries so much? It is this choice which man makes that either leads him to wisdom or keeps him in ignorance. See, mysticism is about living in the present moment with God. It's learning to live in joy, about transforming consciousness, awareness, and becoming holy. To explain this, I would even say most of, most of you can't describe or understand why you're so filled with lust that you resort to cheap and isolated forms of pornography, cheaply using images of someone else's body for your own sexual release. And the reason why you can't is because you don't know yourself. You have not sat with God long enough to allow him to go with you in the depth of that pain and that longing. We live in an an age of Instacart and Amazon Prime. We want things way, way fast. Mysticism is about transforming your consciousness to a place where you are at home with yourself and with God. And God is at home with you and you are in him and he is in you. And you know you can go there. Not that the temptation won't be as real, but you know where it's coming from. And you know what God says about it. And not just legalistic stuff, but you know that it's deeper than just looking at pornographic pictures. You know it's deeper than that. Way deeper than that. It's about self-reflection where you're stopping and you're cultivating spiritual practices and exercises to help you cultivate the spiritual interior life that you have. And it's available to all of us. Now, if you are... If you feel overwhelmed, you're like, I I wish I could. I don't even know where to start. Let me close with this last section of scripture. Luke 5, one day Jesus was standing by the lake of of Gennesaret and the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. And he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. I love this passage of scripture because I want this invitation to be real tonight. For some of us, we probably long for the deeper waters, but we don't even know how to get there. And I love the progression where Jesus is on the shore teaching. He gets a little closer. He sees Simon, he goes, hey, can I get in your boat? Simon's like, come on. Gets in the boat. Could you push away a little bit? All right, I'll push away. Rows back. When he's done teaching, he goes, hey, you want to go deep? Let's push out deeper into the water. See that, pro- see that progression? See how Jesus doesn't jump in his boat and he's like, hey, guys, let's go way out there. He starts here. He moves in. Let's push out a little. Let's go out a little more. Let's go deep. Later on, he says, Let's drop your nets right here for a catch. And Simon's like, dude, you're a rabbi. I'm a fisherman. That's not how it works. I've been fishing here all the time. There's no fisher. But okay, I'll do it. And then he brings up such, such a catch. This is, the, this is the progression of the spiritual life. It's these small incremental things where before you know it, you're going out deep and not just going deep, but you're like doing things that don't make sense to you. This doesn't make sense what you're asking me to do, God but at your word, I'll do it. These small, incremental things. Keep putting in the effort. Keep saying yes. Letting Jesus inch you deeper. Deeper and deeper into this sort of life. My hope is that we, as a church, would live into this to where I really believe a church full of mystics will change the city forever. It will change the city and reform the church like St. Francis did. That is honestly um, my opinion, and that's my hope. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the scriptures, and thank you for this series, and thank you that you're calling us into this. And I pray that we would know we're in this together, God. All of us are being invited into this. Every community group, those of us that This is our our church. We're all in this together, God. So I pray that we would begin, begin to inch deeper and deeper in. I want to pray for my brothers and sisters that 
wherever you're meeting them at right now, you would take them a little further. If they've committed this last week to do two minutes, they would do two and a half. Five, they would do ten. They would start opening up their lives to places and compartments in their own heart that they have not let you into yet. Maybe some past hurts. Maybe some current rebellion. That's just off limits for you right now, God. I pray that you, Lord, in a very gentle way, would invite yourself to go into those places. And I'm really feeling that sense right now, church, that there are places that Jesus wants to gently invite himself into. Maybe places that you've been in rebellion or places that you've told Jesus is off limits, places of past hurt, places of whatever. You're like, hey, this, this, don't touch this right now, please. I don't know if I'm ready for that right now. I really believe, honestly, that Jesus wants to kindly, as a, as a gentleman would, invite himself into those places. Like, could I, could I get into that place? And could we push out a little bit? Just a little bit. And I, and I really believe that's the invitation. If that's resonating with you at all, in an act of like, um, an act of like, yes, Lord, would you during, during um, this, this next song, would you come forward and we'll, we want to pray for you. Um, come forward and kneel if that really resonates with you. That, and we, prayer team, would love just to pray for you here up front tonight. A little different. We're not going to actually have you go there right now. We're going to have you come forward. And kneel, and we'd love to pray with you. Just the first song. And after that, free to roam, free to do what we typically do. But I, I'm really sensing right now that there's some places that Jesus wants to invite himself gently into. Again, places of re- rebellion that you said, no, you can't come in here. But also places of, like, hurt that you're like, please don't, don't come in here. I'm not ready yet. I, and I, and, I, and I, I believe that Jesus just wants to invite us in. And he wants to be brought into those spaces. Yeah, I just, God, I pray that. I want this to be real, Lord. I don't, I don't, I don't want to be um, poking a, a hornet's nest here at all, God. But I know that there are are deep places of hurt and pain and even rebellion that we just put up yellow caution tape and say, keep out of this space, please. And those places, Lord, because of healing, because of hope, because of union, because of life, you want to be brought into. So I pray for my brothers and sisters, if that's resonate with them at all, they just take that, say, just say yes to you. Yeah, you can get in. Yes, we can push out a little bit. In Jesus' name, amen.